Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 375 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening. It's October 15th, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know that the Atlanta Braves season came to a close earlier today with a pretty lopsided defeat in Philadelphia, final score 8-3, and uh, obviously not a fun celebratory atmosphere on this podcast, but uh, as we pledge to do always, we are still here to record the season ender and uh, this recap podcast. I am joined on this evening by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Yeah, certainly not the podcast that you and I were hoping to record tonight. Uh, just, just a couple of really tough games for the Braves, as good as this team was all season and especially from June 1st on. I mean, there were some really special moments along the way, but I guess credit to the Phillies. They had a really good plan in this series. Winning in four is tough to do against a team as good as Atlanta, and the Braves just didn't show up. So we'll, we'll certainly dive into a lot of the ins and outs of the game and then a little bit looking ahead, but man, uh, a frustrating couple of days to be sure. Yeah, and we did a uh, a preview podcast of this series along with our pal Eric Cole, and we talked about the fact that, look, we we all understood the Braves were the better team on paper. They won a lot more games in the regular season, but this is a baseball series. It's a five-game baseball series. Braves fans benefited from this same phenomena last year when they probably weren't the best team qualitatively in the league. Um, in fact, they had the worst record in the playoffs, entering the playoffs last season only to win the World Series, and this time around, the Phillies just outplayed the Braves for four games, and uh, one of those games went the Braves' way. But it wasn't like there was a an atmosphere where the Braves were losing these one-run games. Like they got blown out a couple times in this series, and it was uh, not a whole lot of fun. We'll get into all of what transpired in Game Four, but I agreed with you and Eric actually uh, after the Game Three, uh, sort of I guess on the Game Three podcast. Like we, st- I still thought the Braves were in not great shape. Obviously, down two-one but feeling decent enough about their chances giving away the pitching setup and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, and, and they were favored in this game in Vegas and probably rightly so, but it did not go their way. And they trailed uh, all the way through, um, you know, the way that it all transpired, we'll sort of dive in now to the game and then we'll sort of do some more takeaways at the end. But Charlie Morton, uh, I guess, started out in some trouble in the first inning, wiggled out of it in pretty admirable fashion, getting a couple, a couple of strikeouts against Real Muto and Harper. Um, and kind of uh, giving everybody a collective exhale. In the second inning, he comes right out after the offense was floundering against Noah Syndergaard, and uh, he gets hit with a line drive by Alec Bohm, um, first batter of the second inning, and it hits him right on the like elbow part of his throwing arm. Um, he stayed in, but right away they got Colin McHugh up, and uh, moments later, and that ended up being a base hit, but mo- moments later a uh, a single sneaks by Dansby Swanson, um, but just just barely up the middle, and then a three-run home run by the number nine hitter in the lineup for Philadelphia. It was kind of a uh, there's a few microcosms <laughs> about the series in this game in particular. That was one of them. Philly just kind of having a unlikely hero, and uh, Mort was ahead of the count. He did lose some velocity right after he got hit with a pitch in his arm, which is not a huge surprise, but certainly is part of this. And uh, from that point forward, the Braves, we, we didn't know at the time, but the Braves were never going to be able to come back and even tie the game, much less take a lead. So that was the first damage. It wasn't over, but there was a immediately the nihilism sort of set in from across the Braves fan base. And I don't really blame everybody the way the way that it was all happening. But where were you at mentally when the game went from zero zero to three zero in a hurry, knowing that Morton was banged up, et cetera? Yeah, it was deflating. And you mentioned it being a microcosm of the whole series. It was. I mean, it felt like in every game the Braves were in a hole of some kind other than game two. 
I believe it ended up working out that they ended up having a lead going into three of the 36 innings <laughs> played. Oh, geez. Three of 36. They took the lead. I believe it was the sixth inning in game two. So going into the seventh, eighth, and ninth, they led. But other than that, unless I'm missing something, and I, I don't think I am, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the whole series, right? I mean, you think back to looking back on game one in the first inning, that first inning really was a a foreshadowing of what was going to come. You think back, Max Fried gets two outs on three pitches, and then Philadelphia hit, I believe, four singles in a row in order to take an early lead. Again, nothing was particularly hit hard, but credit to the Phillies. They hit a lot of baseballs into empty grass, and, and obviously that that's the name of the game. You want to get hits no matter how you can get them. Um, but just really looking back in all of the games other than that game two, which was really a toss up other than that one mini rally, the Braves put together, uh, Philadelphia led basically the entire way. They were the better team in at least three of the games. And even in game two, it was not like a stark contrast, uh, just really disheartening to, to see the effort. It was just, it was lifeless from the Braves. I mean, it wasn't even like. As we're looking back, they left a million runners on base. I guess they did that in game one, but yeah. it wasn't even like they just couldn't execute or get that one big hit. I mean, it was lifeless other than a couple of of solo home runs and just just a really disheartening performance. Yeah, that was the story to some degree, other than the free thing in game one was the the fact that they just kind of had opportunities blown. But the rest of the way, that really wasn't the case. Like today, all of their damage really was on home runs. And um, yeah, we can we'll come back to it. But it was basically every phase. I mean, the only phase of the game where the Braves even did OK was the bullpen, you would argue. But starting pitching was a disaster other than Kyle Wright. The offense was a disaster other than a couple of guys. And uh, generally speaking, that's uh, not a bad, uh, sorry, not, not a good recipe for success when you're trying to play against a team that was obviously kind of dialed in at this stage. Um, the offense was very quiet. Uh, the first damage was actually an Orlando Arcia home run. He returned to the lineup in this game, probably rightly so. We talked about it. I know you guys did last night. Talking about Von Grissom kind of looking overmatched in game three, they were rightly went back to RC. It was pretty good in this game. That was one of the swings. Actually, I made this note about that's like why people believe in RC probably to the point where they shouldn't because he can kind of turn on a ball like that and it looks really good. And um, it's one of those things where like, he's not always been a greatest hitter, but obviously he had a great moment there. But even then, like that short lived optimism kind of went away momentarily after that, because Charlie Morton goes out, to open the third inning gets to the mound and is trying to warm up as a guy normally does in between innings and basically couldn't go. And after the game, or actually during the game, Snicker gave his uh, interview to Fox and said they did an X-ray on him in between innings and there was nothing structurally wrong with Morton, but they didn't like the way that he warmed up um, between second and third innings. Um, and as I said, as I said before, they kind of, he kind of lost some velocity as soon as he got hit with the pitch. Um, not a huge surprise there either, but uh, that was all just a little bit off kilter. Like I'm sure they would have liked to have pulled him before that if they knew, but kind of, you know, your guys already out there warming up and you have to pull him. They could call him a in there. It's nice to have Colin McHugh um, available, but it's one of those things where like you're already in your bullpen in the third inning in a game that you're trying to must win. And um, we'll get into the, uh, the inside the park home run that sparked a lot of chatter in a moment, but just the fact that Morton, while he wasn't like super crisp anyway, he did sort of wiggle out of trouble. But as soon as the as soon as the ball struck him off the bat of Alec Bohm, it was like a uh oh thing times three. And uh, even with the bullpen that the Braves have, it's a lot of pressure for the, for the bullpen to have to go basically seven innings in a must win game. Yeah, especially after they had to cover so many innings yesterday too. When the Spencer Strider start, um, I, I mean Charlie Morton, we got to do something about his horrendous playoff luck. Because <laughs> and did he hit in his, the ball? Right. His last start of 2021, like infamously, of course, he takes that line drive off his shin, misses the rest of it, has whatever he broke. I forget the bone he broke, but nonetheless. And then his one and only playoff start this year uh gets hit on the elbow. Thankfully, there's nothing structurally wrong. Uh no, you know, no broken bone or anything like that. But again, just yet another thing that went against the Braves' favor. Uh you know, the, the home run he gave up to Marsh was not encouraging. I think going no. in, we knew, I mean, Charlie in this ballpark was, 
never going to go super well, I don't think. I mean, he did wiggle out of the early trouble, but um, it's unfortunate that he had to leave so early. You don't know how the game would have played out, of course, if he would have been able to go a couple more innings. Uh, But yeah, just kind of a freak thing. Thankfully, not a serious injury or something that's going to linger uh, because you might have heard that Charlie Morton is signed for next year, Brad. Um, that that we're was brought up maybe. We're not, we're not doing or... it. We're not. We're not doing it, Scott. I refuse. <laughs> I absolutely refuse to do the Charlie yeah, Morton discussion again. We did it once already. We'll do it again. I promise in yeah. the near future. But uh, I understand the general uh, impetus to discuss offseason stuff as soon as a team loses. I do get that, but like I just we're not going to do that now. Um, and only because we, we covered it in detail. And like uh, the one thing that we all I, we all agreed on. I was more okay with it than everybody else was. It seemed like, but everybody agreed between all of us that it was like kind of a weird timing thing where they gave him that deal um, when it happened. And uh, we'll, we'll have time to litigate that yeah. in the near future. But yeah, I, I don't yeah. think that Mark, I think Morton was looking okay <laughs> before he got hit with the pitch. And then as soon as he's throwing 94, instead of 96, you know, not great, not great. By the way, we should say this before I forget. Um, this made the rounds and I, I shared it too. Uh, just going back to game three and the Strider thing. Did you happen to catch the Philadelphia quotes about Strider's velocity? And how oh, yeah. we we all noticed that um, in real time. Apparently the Braves did not, but uh, they were uh, very keenly aware that Strider was uh, very much human after he after the first two innings yesterday. And I thought that was at least worth pointing out. Obviously, it wouldn't have changed anything now that we all know that. But uh, that was part of the story of game three was that he kind of just ran out of gas or something kind of went weird with him. And I, I know Nick, Nick Castellanos kind of mentioned it like they all noticed when he was not himself. And that was. Yeah. Uh, kind of glaring there too it it was a really bad week for the entire organization like obviously the players are going to get the blame they're the ones who were out there on the field but I don't think Brian Snitker had a good week at all and I say that realizing he was really really good last year even in 2020 in the bubble playoff um you know, Brian Snicker was was a fine manager in the playoffs last year, but he had some really odd decisions, the the strider leaving him out there too long. Because as you noted, the Phillies picked up on it. Um, and then even like the front office, I, I, I don't like the game plan that the front office came up with, with the coaching staff, the defensive positioning throughout the entire series was really rough. Granted, you are talking about a four-game sample, but even prior to the home run to Brandon Marsh, now, Gene Segura hit one up the middle. Um, it, it got just past Dansby, but if Dansby is a foot or two over to his left, it's an inning-ending double play and like an easy one at that. Um, throughout the series, I thought the defensive positioning was really poor. Offensively, there was no approach. I mean, it was just hack away and hack away and not work the count, not get on base. Um, again, just uh, top to bottom, other than a couple of players who had really nice series just a, a disheartening all the way through. Um, and then as, as we've said, losing Morton, he was not, it wasn't like he was just mowing people down, No, uh, but to lose him that early when the bullpen had already been tasked and you're down three, nothing. It was just, or three to one, I guess at that point was just worst case scenario. Yeah. And we'll, we'll come back to the broad stuff. Uh, we do need to dive into perhaps the most discussed play of the day. And that was the inside the park home run off of the bat of JTL, JT Real Muto. Um, it was convenient to kind of point out that he's a catcher while not saying that he's the fastest catcher in the league. Like, so that's, that's part of this too. But anyway, I'm sure everybody's seen this play. Real Muto hits it in a perfect spot in deep, deep center, kind of left center, but mostly center field. Harris doesn't quite get there, um, misplays it, lets it get off the wall, and uh, it kicks in a way like off of this angled wall, I know, including, I'm sure that you feel this way too, but I'll speak for me, like seeing Michael Harris not play a ball correctly is weird because he's so good defensively. Like it was an uncharacteristically bad play from him to kind of get in between. Like he didn't quite go all the way for it to kind of make that crash into the wall play and also just didn't play it safely to hold him to a double. So that that was part one. Then it kicks like hilariously hard off of the angled wall and goes into right center field. Ronald Acuna, which was, this is a, large type of conversation did not back it up properly uh did not start running over there until it was probably too late and uh kind of just unlucky on how far it went away from harris but still a strange play um basically both guys messed up uh i don't know i'm not sure how i want to like attribute blame i know the takes on acuna were a little bit too strong uh in my view let's just say 
But uh, what did you make of that? And uh, just kind of the way that even the like sort of the, the play itself, also just the way it was discussed. And, you know, now that it was a five run loss, maybe a little bit less heat on this. But at the time, it was like the end of the world in every direction. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, <laughs> Share them all, Scott. Here we are. Right. Right. It's a venting. Sh- it's, a, it's a venting session uh, on this therapy podcast. It is. Um, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts uh, for one. The outrage, like actual outrage at Ronald Acuna Jr. on this play was absurd. He should have been at least moving towards center field, right? Like it's when that ball gets hit, you might as well start jogging towards the ball in case something happens, right? In case, God forbid, of an injury or there's a weird bounce or maybe the the ball, like the Melky Cabrera play where the ball slips out of, of the thrower's hand and squirts away, Um Ronald should have been moving towards center field, but this like outrage that he wasn't on a full sprint to center field on a ball that was hit 150 feet away from him. Like, give me a break. That, that, that was absurd. I know that Twitter was going nuts. There were some uh, prominent national writers, both baseball and otherwise just like, destroying Ronald for it. I I don't know what you expect Ronald to do there. Like in the moment when that ball was hit, were you saying to yourself in the couple of seconds, Oh, Ronald back up that play back up that play. (laughs) Uh, Of course not. The ball was hit to left center field. Like Dansby Swanson in Orlando Arcia at second and short were closer to where the ball landed than Ronald was in right field. Like give me a break. Uh, it was yet another fuel onto the fire from what has been a very, very frustrating series. I'm sure the Braves are frustrated internally. Of course, fans are frustrated as well. Um, Ronald should have been making his way to center field, but to like blame the entire game on his not covering center field on a ball that went 400 feet to left center, like what are we doing? That, that just... I I get it, man. Like it's stressful times this time of year and things were not going well again, but uh, without fail, the takes were out (laughs) of control and it just was, I was, I I turned off. I mean, I I got out of Twitter for a while. I was going to say something that I shouldn't to, you know, somebody who I probably shouldn't. Um, It was just, it was extreme. It was a really bad play. It's a play that needs to be at least attempted, I think, but I mean, come on now. Yeah, let's let's not do 30 minutes on this. Um, and I'm talking to myself more than anything. Um, I agree. It's uh there's just different conversations to be had. Like on there is a legitimate debate uh, about like whether that him flying over there might have saved that to a triple versus a home run. I think that's like reasonable. I, I am on the side of I think he scores anyway, just because it was just really unlucky. Look, like the way that Harris played it was poor, the bounce was really unlucky. Ronnie was going to be far away no, no matter what. And Real Muto is flying off the bat and was just booking it all the way around. So there's that part of it. Um, there's a discussion. I can't remember who pointed this out first that I saw, but like, you know, the Braves have, have sort of admitted this year that they've actually asked Ronnie to like not bust it on certain plays, even in games because of his knee. Like, I'm not sure if that was part of the deal here. I'm not going to give him a whole pass because look, he should have been, he should, he should have been doing it. You, you said it. Ronnie did not play that well. He should have been over there. And no one's kind of, I don't think anybody's saying otherwise. It's one of those things where like you're arguing against no one. If you say that Acuna shouldn't have done that, like no one's saying that Um, he was in the wrong place. So it is what it is. I do question like whether the volume of that would be this loud for other players. Uh, We talked about it before. It's not worth doing again, but I I think Ronnie gets treated differently for whatever reason. It's been happening for basically three years now. Like the 2019 NLDS came up today in my mind where like he was not the problem in that series, but he made one spectacularly uh, high profile blunder and it got blamed for a lot of different things in that series. And it was kind of the same thing today. So anyway, we shared our thoughts. Like it was not that big of a deal in terms of what happened there because like the play, you know, best case scenario, he busted over there, makes a heroic play to hold the guy to a triple like that. That's the best case scenario. It wasn't like he was going to, save the day on that play no right. matter what and um yeah i don't know it's just it was it was tough for me I mean, we'll come back to it later on too because like he had a bad day as well a couple things after that that were not his best moments so like he didn't play well today but it's just one of those things like it got magnified to such a degree that it was kind of just um weird 
baffling. And I get part of it is that he's a star player and star players get more heat, but I feel like it's always a little bit weird with Ronnie sometimes. I don't know. It is. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll leave it there. We, we can move wanna, on. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah, no, I know. It, it's um, just, it's it is what it is. Another bad thing. And if yeah. the Braves were up in the series 2-0 and cruising and the vibes were good, obviously it wouldn't be a great look, but the outrage would have been so much less. I think everybody was just really frustrated. And you're right. I mean, there were people, the old, uh, I was told Steph Curry can't shoot arguers with the wall <laughs> on Twitter, right? Like, who who are you arguing with? Everybody agrees that he should have covered it. It was just the nonsense of, oh, this whole series is on Acuna's lack of hustle. Like, no, it wasn't, man. He was like 18th on my list of things that went wrong in this series. Yeah, the, the one thing that I actually waded into, we'll move on, I promise. Um, somebody, it was a, I'll call it a local sports radio personality from my youth. I'm not even sure what he does now. I quote tweeted about it, but it was like, it was like the lasting image of this series is Ronald Acuna not hustling in right field. It's like, are you kidding? Like that 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 cannot possibly be your lasting imprint of this series. Um, but anyway, moving on. Okay, reset. Um, so at one point, this is a 4-2 game. Matt Olson, by the way, who was awesome, in the series, he was one of the few bright spots across the board. He hits a solo home run in the fourth. It's four to two, and it's like it's a game again. Um, Colin McHugh wiggles out of damage. In fact, like that was the play that was also involving Harris and Ronnie in the fourth inning, where Marsh hits a double that lands between them in right center field. Ronnie kind of pulls up late. He looked like he, Harris looked like he was expecting Ryan to get there. It was just a really unlucky play like BABIP wise it kind of just landed in a bad spot there was some sun issues just a weird looking play and again it was because it was right after the play and um that he didn't back they didn't back up so that was even more magnified that was kind of a nothing thing for me like it was un- it was unlucky but I don't think that Acuna like made like a terrible play there did you think that was like an egregious defensive play it was just kind of a weird situation yeah. where it landed in a bad spot I thought it, it landed in a bad spot and it was also right into the sunlight uh, which it looked like right field. It was pretty tough to track the ball today. Um, it, I mean, you look at the Phillies, right? They had some superb fortune this week with the balls they put in play. And just one quick note here. The Phillies in game four had 13 hits and their expected batting average for the day was 0. 0.193. Like, right, like we're not we're not to the sixth inning yet or seventh inning yet where it was like the end of the game effectively and the Phillies hit a bunch of broken bat singles. Oh, the sixth inning was like, I mean, you and I are not the uh, partisan people. They're going to like talk about how unlucky the Braves are because everything went wrong. Like the the sixth inning was like unfathomably unlucky for the Braves. Like they, they probably lose anyway, but like the sequence that happened and we'll get to it with Iglesias and everything was like, the most unlucky thing you'll ever see about like a four or five batter stretch. And that was, this is also part of that too. It wasn't quite as bad as that, but like having a flare double land right between your guys. And they didn't even score in this inning, by the way, because, because right. McHugh got out of it, but it was just like every little thing the entire way. It was every little thing. We're not going to make excuses. We're not going to sugarcoat it. The Braves played four. Well, they played three really bad games and one game where they just were a little bit better. Um, yeah. I mean, in the moment, sure. I, I guess it's, probably Michael Harris who needs to be calling for the ball. But at the same time, it was a bang, bang play, uh, you know, full sprint citizens bank park to the Phillies fans. Credit was rocking. I'm sure they could not hear each other as they were on a full on sprint. I think Harris was also shaded over uh, to left center a little bit. Um, just another thing that did not go the Braves way. Yeah. Um, so it's it's still four two. Uh, we could talk about an, an intentional walk. I'll just leave that there for now. It doesn't matter at this point. Um, they have a chance to maybe get one back in the fifth. Again, down only two runs. Um, Arcia became the first base runner of the game for the Braves. Now they had two runs, but th- both of them were on solo home runs at that point. Kind of funny. And the uh, the one kind of egregious baseball thing that happened, like tactically, was I, I could not believe that Arcia got on base. And Snit let Eddie Rosario hit, hit against a left, left-hander in the fifth. Now, yep. Yep. again, they lost this game by five runs. I'm not saying this is like a, what lost the game or anything like that, or, or if anything, I'm not going to go crazy enough to say that like they had this great options. But like, I just did not understand. Like, I was actually okay with Rosario starting um, because it was a righty. People were kind of mad that he was even starting because he had been so bad in the series, and I totally get that. 
But once he's once you're seeing a lefty in the fifth inning, like he can't possibly hit there with a man on base. Um, and he, he did, and the result was what it was. And uh, that was just a weird one. I, I was you mentioned it before, like we're not going to pile on Snit too much. Like I, you know, I agree with what you said. I think Snit did a really good job last year, not only because they won the World Series, but because like just even process wise, we, we covered it in the in, in the moment. Like we were pleasantly surprised. I think every step of the way about like just how solid Snit was. And like he didn't lose in the series by any means, but he did not do a great job. And that was one where I, I just don't even understand what the what the rationale is for letting yeah. Rosario hit there. I don't get it. I almost wonder if Robbie Grossman is hurt. Maybe. I, I haven't heard this. I haven't seen this. It has not been reported, but he also was very weirdly taken down for a pinch hitter in game one against a lefty. He did not play in game two. I don't believe he played in game three. And then that was, as you noted, even though the score was four to two, it didn't feel like it was four to two, but it was a two run game. The fact that Grossman wasn't called upon there was odd. Again, just, even Ozuna, like we're, we're not the biggest Ozuna yeah. guys. Like that would have <laughs> yeah. made more sense to me, quite honestly, because, you know, the thought was somebody, somebody that disagreed with like how mad I was about it said, okay, well, they could just pull Brad Hand. And go to um, if if you pinch it for Rosario, they could they could just put a righty in for Brad Hand, and I'm like, I would much rather have Grossman against Grossman or Ozuna against a righty than the current Rosario against Brad Hand. Like that's not even close. And yep. if those bases empty, I wouldn't have been quite as like eyebrow raised. But like you're down two, that was a big spot. <laughs> like I know it was only a man on first two outs. I'm not saying it was like this huge situation, but I don't know. It was just so it was very weird. But yeah, you're right. I mean we, we speculated about it with with the Grossman thing early in the series that he might be hurt. And that was like maybe why they did that. But uh all quiet on the front there. And I even if I, even if you take Grossman out, I would I would have gone to Ozuna. I really would have which is that's a yeah. weird statement to say how loud but I, I would have so yeah bizarre. looking back I know we're not doing the full postmortem but whenever you and I did the podcast the night of the trade deadline I think our takeaway from the acquisition of Robbie Grossman is that the Braves are really betting on Eddie Rosario figuring things out. They were. And then Robbie Grossman providing some thump against left-handed pitching. I think it's fair to say that the front office would do something different if they had to do it all over again because neither of those two things really happened. I mean, they yeah. were. I mean, like, Alex Alex has thrown uh, some no-hitters. Basically, he's done an incredible oh, job oh, yeah. with yeah, this yeah. team. And I, I, we've always we've always said that. I just I, I want to just preface by saying we're not picking on, on Anthopoulos, who has been incredible at his job. Um, obviously, left field did not go well this year. Between bringing Rosario back, um, between not doing anything bigger at the deadline, Grossman was just not like a disaster, but that wasn't a big deal. Um, that was kind of the the spot where you know nothing worked this entire season. Basically, once yeah. Duvall went down, that was just a, that was a zero for the most part. Ozuna being so bad, etc. So anyway, that was one little thing. Um, I did like though to just to be a little bit more positive briefly. Uh, I like the fact that Snit did not hold anything back with the bullpen. Like they went to Mentor in the fifth, which I which I think was probably you know pretty obviously the right decision, but also not usually a Snit thing. Like to go to one of your high leverage guys in the fifth inning and try to really he really tried to go the entire rest of the game with his high leverage guys. Like he was really trying to do that. It didn't work out that way because of the way things went in the sixth, but uh, I did appreciate that. He did not mess around there down four, two. I would agree. Yep. Um, Anyway, we'll fast forward to the sixth inning in a second and go through what was uh, the impossibly frustrating, pretty much the end of the, (laughs) of the game and the season in the sixth. But before we get to that, it worked more sponsors on the podcast today. Scott. So it's four to two. In the top of the sixth inning, uh, pretty quiet on the offensive side as it had been for most of the game. There was a truly horrific strike three call on, on Dansby Swanson in the top of the sixth. That would have been nice if he if he walked there against Alvarado to have a little bit more juice going. I'm not sure if you remember that play, but I I could not believe how that was called a strike. It was it was a full count. It was not even close. Yeah. Sorry. What? Uh, yeah. What literally? <laughs> what literally? Uh, youth circuit did they hire this umpire for today? He he was terrible both ways. I mean, just just awful. Yeah, it was it was a tough scene. Anyway, that's it's one pitch, but it was just one. It was like it was a full count, so it was literally walk versus strikeout, and uh, nothing nothing doing there. But bottom of the sixth, AJ Minter gives up a single and a stolen base to Gene Segura. Then uh, sort of a weird hit by pitch to Kyle Schwarber that was like it was reviewed, ends up standing. He reaches base. It was o two. It was an o two count in that, in that plate appearance. It was kind of kind of nasty there too. 
and they go to Iglesias there, which I'm totally fine with. Iglesias, for my money and really for the numbers, has been the best reliever in all of baseball for about the last two plus months. Like he's been literally that good. And um, nothing he did was egregious. It just went very, very wrong. So they go to Iglesias with, with two out and two on. He gets ahead 0-2 and then gives up a flare single to right to score another run. That was unlucky. I mean, it happens. It's just a bloop that you kind of just see all the time, but it was just very poorly timed. Then uh, a very, very, very unlucky infield hit by JT Uralamudo on a pitch that he barely even reached. Like it was a not even close to a strike. He swings at it poorly. He taps one. It was kind of like the Austin Riley swinging bunt in the game they won. Uh, remember that play from game two where Riley kind of just like gets yeah. very lucky on the placement and it scores. The Braves lose one there. And uh, that was unfortunate. And then the next batter is another comical <laughs> broken bat grounder through the left side of Bryce Harper opposite field. And suddenly yeah. in the span of three batters, it, it's seven to two. And uh, before I give it to you, Scott, the exit velocities on the three batted balls that went from four, two to seven, two were 63 miles an hour, 30 Yes, 30 miles an hour and 76 miles an hour against, again, the best reliever in baseball, basically, right now. And just as if if you're not a huge exit velocity guy, listen to the podcast, guy or gal, um, like 80 is soft contact. Like anything below 90 is basically considered to be soft contact. And 63, 30, 76. And that ends up being three runs. Like, what are you supposed to do? that That was one of those things where it's like, Nothing's got, I mean, this is one of, it's just one of those series. Like it already was, but it was like double down, triple down. Like this is over at this point. Yeah. There was nothing you could do. It it was again, kind of a microcosm of a lot of what happened in this series. And I'm not sitting here saying the Phillies didn't hit the ball hard throughout the, like they had the huge home runs in game three. Brandon Marsh had his big home run earlier in the game. I'm not suggesting that this team just got like blooped and dunked to to death. Um, kind of like the, you mentioned the 2019 series against the Cardinals, where I think they had one home run in the entire series, but somehow won. Like it was just, it was kind of the cherry on top, right? To the frustrating and very um, almost annoying way the games had played out so far. Oh, more more than almost annoying, I think, Scott. I think you, I think you yeah. probably just say annoying on that on that front. So yeah, I mean, you know, full disclosure in the sixth, I turned it off. I mean, you know, wake me if they end up coming back to win. <laughs> which was not very likely, but wow. I mean, wow. Just, Scott Coleman abandons his team in, in its moment of need. That was, that's just, that's wild stuff. That's, um, it's okay. Scott. That can be the title of the podcast. Um, <laughs> is, is Scott, is Scott quit in the sixth inning? I'm, I think I might leave with that at the, at the top of the show. Well, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> I think uh, I would imagine I wasn't alone, uh, but no, I mean, oh, I'm it sure was you the, weren't. Uh, it was the, it was the pinnacle of, the worst possible way to lose a game or to effectively lose a game in the sixth inning. Like if, if one of those guys came up and the Phillies have some really good veteran power hitters in the top of their order, if Bryce Harper comes up and hits a grand slam to effectively end the game, cool. Great. Or if JT Ramuto gaps one with the bases loaded and scores three, cool. Great. But to effectively have your season end on those three soft singles to the absolute middle of nowhere was just so unfortunate, unlucky, annoying, pick your word of choice, but to more or less have the year end right there was, was really disheartening. We've done an appropriate job. I think of laying out like the Braves played terribly in the series and no one's suggesting otherwise we're not crying unlucky. Like we're not doing that. The Braves got outplayed. Um, just I'm very clear about that. Now I'm going to say one more thing about this. The seven runs, the first seven runs that were scored from the, from the Phillies in this game today, Scott, were the following: a home run by the number nine hitter off of a pitcher who had just been hit with a line drive, then an inside the park home run on a misplayed ball in the outfield, and then those three aforementioned singles after a hit by pitch that barely. Sm- maybe scraped Kyle Schwarber. That was the way they scored the first seven runs of this game. <laughs> it was just like one of those like drawn up in the lab to be infuriating moments. Yep. And uh, it certainly was. No, so, and Hey, you know what? Tip, tip your cap to the Phillies. They played they, great. I mean, they did. They, they played really well. From game one, first inning, they were ready to ball. Like they, they wanted it. They looked like I tweeted this earlier today and it caught some traction, but and you're, you're a basketball guy, Uh-oh. but it looked like this. The whole series to me looked like this. 
The Braves were a number one seed in the NCAA tournament come March Madness time with five NBA players in their lineup. And they have talent. They are the better team, no questions asked. But they just don't have any juice, right? Like they have no energy. They have no excitement. They're probably thinking about they're going to get drafted to the NBA in a couple of months. And instead of winning a game they should, they ran into a mid-major team that had not been there in a long time, and they played the game of their life. And none of those kids are going to make the NBA. They're going to go play in Europe or, or wherever. But for this week, for these four games, the Phillies absolutely wanted it more. The Braves got hit in the mouth right out of the gate in game one. And really, they never recovered. Obviously, they won game two, but games three and four were mostly uncompetitive. And that was the exact opposite of what this team's MO was all season long. And I think that, for me, is my biggest takeaway from all of this. Yeah, that's uh, it's well said. And um, we'll sort of zoom now to the end because, you know, there was the solo home run by Travis Arnaud, who was one of the guys who played well in the series and kind of gave him a little bit more. But then Bryce, Bryce Harper homers, it's eight to three. And that was basically all there was. Um, we're going to zoom out now a little bit to the full series versus the actual game. Unless you have objections to that, Scott, we can just get, oh, through, no. Uh, no. get through game four. Um, so for the series, I'm just going to give some numbers and some context here. We'll start with the offense because I think there's been a lot of uh, attention paid, and rightly so, to the starting pitching in particular. We'll come back to that in a second. But the offense was terrible in this series, flat out. Um, not only did they only score 13 runs in the four games, which is obviously not enough, um, their slash line as a team is horrific. 180, 250 on base, and a 344 slugging percentage for a sub-600 OPS as a team. You are going to lose if that happens. Um, really, only two guys had what I would describe as like capital G good series. And that was Matt Olson and Travis Darno. Then you have two guys who did like pretty well. And one is Ronald Acuna at the plate. He had like an 800 something OPS. And then because of the home run today, Arcia ended up having decent numbers as well in a small sample size. But that was basically it. Everybody else was terrible in the series. Austin Riley, Michael Harris, Stanley Swanson all had slugging percentages under 200 for the series. And they played the, they played every game. Every inning, four games, they did nothing at all. And then Rosario and Ozuna ended up with a combined zero OPS. So I'm not even sure what else to say. I mean, like the offense just didn't have enough. I mean, I kind of feel bad for Olsen and Darno, who, who played who play great and just kind of mashed solo home runs because there was nobody else on base. It was, I mean, even the, the the biggest swing in terms of like actual run production in the whole series was a Matt Olsen three-run homer when they were down by four runs. That was kind of, It wasn't meaningless, but it ended up being meaningless. And the whole thing was just a catastrophe on offense really was yeah it was and i don't know there, there was so much discussion and debate we will never know if the braves just ran out of gas from having to basically play every single game like they needed to win up until the very end i mean maybe they ran out of gas but at the same time you look around and like the dodgers who have had the division effectively wrapped up for a month are now really struggling against the Padres and the Yankees are really struggling against the guardians and even Houston, the other, you know, the four teams to get buys, even Houston needed Jordan Alvarez to single-handedly carry them to two wins. Um, so whether or not it's the rest versus rust thing, it's just been one year, but you talk about the lineup being bad. I mean, truly two guys hit Olsen and Arno. And that was basically it. Ronald Acuna did a good job getting on base, although there was no power behind it. Uh, shout out Orlando Arcia for making the absolute most <laughs> of his opportunity, yep. uh, especially with with Ozzy Hurt and Vaughn just kind of hitting that rookie wall. But, I mean, oh, man, Austin Riley, as good as he was, I mean, he was doing – I think he was doing core workouts, just swinging the bat to get, you know, work on his obliques and his, it was, his abs. I mean, it was hard. It was, that was actually hard to watch. Cause like, oh, you yeah. know, I, I know I've always been a little lower on Riley than some, and like, I will fully acknowledge that he was awesome this season. Um, but even like going back to August 1st, like he was not very good in the last two months of the season. And then he had a, a yeah, I'm doing the math now. He had a sub 200 OPS in the series. Like, yeah. It's just, I mean, it was one hit, right? It's, yeah, it I was, think it was one hit. And I think he walked one more time than that, maybe two more times. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and look, it's a small sample size. This is the same thing we talked about three or four years ago with Freddie Freeman, who had a couple bad series. And like, it doesn't mean he's bad. Like, no one's saying that, but like, it was not a, he, I mean, he got moved down the lineup today. He was fifth in the lineup and it wasn't the wrong decision. Like he, he looked terrible in the whole series. So, and then, you know, Michael Harris will be back and obviously he's super young. He's a rookie for my money, the rookie of the year. We'll see him, him and Strider. One of those guys is going to win that award. And he was really bad in the series. He had his, I think the worst defensive moment of his career was today and not inside the park home run. I mean, I can't remember of some of him doing anything else that was like quite that bad defensively. And that's a testament to him. Like he's been gold glove caliber in center field this season and the future is extremely bright, but those two guys killed you. Dansby was bad in the series and what might've been his final game. Like it's just all of it's bad. It was, I mean, you talk about if, (laughs) right. Like Riley Harrison Swanson, probably your, your, three of your five best hitters in the lineup all yeah. below 200 and slugging. Uh, we talked about Ronald again, did a great job getting on base, but I think just post ACL tear for this year, the power just never came back. Like we know it. I think he's going to have a really nice season, but until he's able to get the knee back to hundred percent, I mean, as we talked about Eddie Rosario, Marcelo Zuna with, with literal zeros, um, if you want to feel better about yourself, go look up some of Eddie Rosario's highlights from the 2021 NLCS. When yeah, he went. Eddie. I mean, Eddie. Eddie went from basically Man. being uh, Willie Mays in the playoffs to doing absolutely nothing, and it was just that's just baseball, I guess. I mean, and this, we talk about it all the time, and I don't want to overstate it, but baseball just weird stuff happens. Like sample size is such a huge thing to the point where a bad team can beat a good team in a series, and the Phillies are not bad by any means, but the Braves, you know, by any metric were better than the Phillies this year. And the Phillies soundly outplayed them in the series. And it's part of that is the, is the noise of having a four game sample. And Austin Riley, for instance, is like, was their best offensive player this season in a lot of different ways. And he goes like, you know, whatever it was, you know, one of 15 or whatever it yeah. was in four games. Um, yeah, if, if, um, if fans are looking for solace or just a reminder about how difficult the major league baseball playoffs are, Right. Like look no farther than the Atlanta Braves in the nineties and early thousands, like two to five hall of famers on the roster at any given point, And they got the one world series. Yeah. Uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers, by the time people are listening to this might get eliminated. The Dodgers have dog walked the rest of the league in the regular season for like seven years now. And all they have to show for it is the bubble world series after 60 games. Uh, it's just, I mean, it's just such a difficult game. And as you said, nobody would question that the Braves are a better team, a better roster, or at least during the regular season they were. Um, but they just, I mean, they they just got thoroughly outplayed for four games this week. Yeah, um, not a lot of fun. By the way, it's kind of funny. Like, if you take a step back, funny is maybe the wrong word, but objectively, you could argue the Braves franchise is the single clearest example of how random the baseball playoffs are for the last yeah. for the last 30 years because probably how many times were they probably the best team or at least on the very short list of the best team in the 90s only to win one and then last year they win it when they were definitely not the best team and everybody kind of right. knew it it was just a, and then this year again they're they're so much better this year in every metric and they lose in the first round and it's like it's that's just baseball, like in a nutshell, in a lot of ways, it's, it's maddening, but it's just the reality yeah. of the sport. Um, it is. I mean, the the championship series, sorry to cut you off, no, but I ahead. mean, the championship series could very realistically, if it holds, be the Houston Astros against the Cleveland Guardians and the Philadelphia Phillies against the San Diego Padres. If anyone on the planet had that one, and I know the other series aren't done just yet, but if anyone on the planet had that one pegged a month ago, please let me know because I would like to. I'd like to talk to you about some things. Yeah. Um, I think we probably did a good job covering the offense. It was not good. Um, quickly, the the starting pitching was also a disaster. They got, they got covered more because it's just what happens. Um, you get more attention on like individual guys there. Um, Kyle Wright was good, as we discussed. Yeah, it was you and I on that podcast. We talked about that. Um, he, he pitched very well. Even with Kyle Wright included, the Braves starting pitchers in four games had a 7.90 ERA, the worst of any playoff team by far. You can't win yeah. at a high level when your pitchers <laughs> do that. Um, you know, obviously Max Freed 
had velocity issues. I think it was his worst velocity of the season, um, you know, coming off of the flu or whatever he had. And like, maybe that was part of it, but he had a bad, he had a bad start. The Strider thing was talked about ad nauseum by you guys last night, everybody else, but obviously he was not himself for hundred percent. And then the Morton thing today, when he gets hit by a drive and it may not have gone well anyway, but that's maybe, maybe sped it up a little bit. And look, if you asked us a few months ago, like how good we were feeling about the, about the rotation, we all would have been feeling great. I mean, between Freed being an ace, between Wright having a great year, Strider with pitching at an ace level, um, and if Morton's your four, everybody's feeling fine. But between Max not being Max um, and Strider getting hurt and then not being himself and then Charlie both falling off late in the season and also having the injury today, or at least, at least the collision on his arm today, like it was a perfect storm. I mean, the bullpen did its job for the most part, aside from a couple little instances like yeah. Chavez early yeah. in the series, but – the starters like you, you can't be you can't be down in every you can't be you can't be down four nothing in every game. It's just yeah. tough. It was. I mean, again, it's it's whether it makes an impact or not. When you look up at the scoreboard and you were seemingly in a hole by the what second inning? I think by the second inning the Braves were trailing in every game, or I guess the third inning they were trailing in every game. Right? They got out to the early hole in game one. The uh, game two was tied. Game three they get. Uh, blasted in the third inning and then today brandon marsh was in the second uh, whether or not that's a real thing or not there is something to be said for always needing to come back uh, because as we know as we saw in evidence of game two and even that Mets series at the end of the season the braves's plan the way the braves win games they get a lead and then you hand the ball to your big three relievers and that's what worked last year during the world series run it worked so well during this year as they won 101 games. It just didn't work out that way. And you're right, man. I mean, a 7.9 ERA combined. And that was with Kyle Wright throwing six scoreless. And that, that just blows my mind. Yeah, it was, it was over 10. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't pull the exact numbers, but I, I believe the combination of freed uh, Strider and Morton was over 10 uh, ERA. And, you know, that speaks for itself. So uh, nothing else to add other than the fact that your guy Kyle Wright came through for came through for him. So hey, good for him. Good, I mean, Wright. in all seriousness, good for Kyle for getting his moment. I think that was really cool for him and a nice way to. I mean, really, other than Kyle Wright and a couple of the bullpen guys having nice moments, um, and then of course we talked about Olson and Darno really showed up. I mean, good for those guys, but uh, what a frustrating week. Yeah, can't confirm. Okay, well, um, if you are a new listener, you may not know this. If you're a recurring listener, you may remember this. We don't go away in the offseason. Uh, I know some podcasts, I'm not blaming anybody for doing this, but uh, might just kind of step away after the season's over. Uh, we talk pretty much the entire way through. Might take a week off every once in a while, but with the um, with the inter- introduction of Sean Coleman and the Daily Hammer the last couple of years, we have a new podcast with Steven and Chris and minor league stuff with Eric and Road to Atlanta. We are going to not go away. And uh, that's part of why we're not doing a whole lot of like full on season stuff right now. We'll probably do some some regular season retrospective stuff, talk about like how good of a season this was. And that is worth noting. The Braves had a pretty awesome regular season. They come back to win the division in memorable fashion. And that doesn't get erased. Baseball is a tough sport because you kind of have to celebrate the regular season stuff because it just is a very different game in a lot of ways. And the season's so long and so many many outcomes over the course of a full season. So we're not going to ignore that. I promise you we'll come back to it as well as like our typical review schedule. We'll talk about like what happens with with starting pitching and the bullpen and what happened this year with position players. And then we'll kind of look ahead to free agency. Obviously, Dansby Swanson is a big name on the horizon who is not going to be under contract right now for next season. We'll have all that. We'll have left field talk. We'll have hot stove. All that stuff's coming, I promise you. But uh, Scott, before we get into any of that stuff, anything else you want to say about the series? Wrap it up. I know we we were not excited to record on this evening, mm-hmm. but we did we did promise the folks that we were going to have that. And I think people appreciate that we are not going to just go away and we try to get, deliver the content whenever possible. Yeah, nothing really about the game itself or the season. But I do want to just thank everybody, whether you are a longtime listener or uh, a new listener. Uh, We really do appreciate the support. I think I speak for Eric and Brad when I say we were really hoping to do another couple of weeks of these. Uh, Last year's run was just so, so fun. And uh, we do want to thank you all for supporting the podcast this year. As Brad said, we will have plenty of off-season content, everything from trades and free agency uh, to just kind of looking back on the season. It's always fun to do a little bit of a post-mortem 
once it all wraps up. So a big thank you to everybody who has tuned in, especially those of you who tuned in after the losses. I I, I know I can speak for myself when uh, doing a podcast after a win is far more fun than when they lose. Uh, but thanks again to everybody for the support and we will be back soon. Yeah, I echo all of that. We do sincerely appreciate all of the support. It was, uh, I think I can say this without giving too much away, it was definitely the biggest uh, audience here we've ever had on the show. And we do appreciate the growth of that. Everybody check out the podcast and subscribing and sharing with the friends. I know not everybody loves our process and what we talk about, and that's okay. Uh, but give us give us a chance. If you enjoy the show, stick with us, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the offseason. I cannot promise you the exact date of our next episode, but because we have four different shows now, basically running on our podcast network at all times, it'll be uh, it'll still be busy. It won't be every single day like it's been for the last you know three or four months, basically. But I can promise you we'll have regular content at least uh, once a week on our show or something like that, or Sean will be around more often than not. And then uh, once the World Series ends, it kind of you're, you're in the groove of like qualifying offers and uh, arbitration <laughs> tendering and all that, all that stuff, uh, you know, big decisions to be made. And we'll, we'll touch on all of that stuff. I, I can I can promise you that. I also know this. I can I think I can share this on, on Scott's behalf. We're not going to be eager to record tomorrow. I don't think, Scott. What do you think? No, I, I think we need a little bit of a breather. <laughs> it's probably going to be. <laughs> Listen, uh, if I know Sean Coleman, it would not it would not stun me if Sean is recording a podcast tomorrow because Sean loves to talk about the, about the Braves and uh, Sean's the man. But uh, I think I'll be taking a couple of days away from the Braves and I'll be diving in the Hawks coverage. I know I know Scott is fired up about the Hawks. It's it's Hawks season now, Scott. Love um, my Atlanta Hawks basketball, <laughs> big time, big time. I got to get on your podcast one of these days, Brad, because that's what the people need. You're always welcome. Um, anyway, sincere <laughs> thanks from us uh for listening to the show this year one more plug please subscribe to the podcast on apple or spotify stitcher etc follow us on twitter at battery power sbn follow scott at scott coleman 55 follow me at bt Rowan. and also please by the way if you're only a listener you should also be a reader of batterypower.com chris willis and the crew do a fantastic job on the written content so check us out there as well thanks again everybody and we'll see you all later on in the offseason